0: I share this with every family that brings a child to celebrate baptism. It's a story that I love about this church. And it says a lot about who this church is. It taught me a lot about who this church is in my earliest days. I've been here for just over seven years now. And I started in the late spring of 2014, and one of the first church-wide events that took place after I had gotten started here was Vacation Bible School in early summer. Now, if you have not been to Vacation Bible School before, it is a very eventful time. There's a lot of moving things on the campus, as hundreds of young children are here and hundreds of youth are volunteering with them and parents and volunteers and staff are going everywhere. There's a lot of volume on the campus that week. Um, and, and so I, you know, I was going up to do one day the closing prayer, at the end of the Vacation Bible School, and as I was walking up to where the noise was, so you didn't have to tell me which room it was, it was just kind of follow the noise and you make it there. I saw a member of our church who has since passed away named Dave Mead out on the patio. Many of you might remember Dave. Dave led our usher team for years here at Covenant, was a wonderful person and a wonderful leader in our church. And as I was walking by Dave on the patio, he had been working in the arts and crafts area, which was in Eaton Hall, which is our original sanctuary right across the patio outside. And he looked, I'm gonna be honest, he looked pretty tired at the end of the day after, after helping to lead the arts and crafts area. And so I kind of stopped and I was like, Dave, um, how you doing? He's like, you know, I'm, I'm doing all right. They got a lot of energy, they got a lot of energy. And I was like, they do. We don't even need to know who we're talking about. They do, they have a lot of energy. And I said to him something, said, I said, Dave, man, why are you here? Like, why are you, so, you've done your time. Like, what, what, what is the deal here? And Dave Mead said something I will never forget. He looked at me and said, Thomas, we make a promise to every one of these children in their baptism to be a part of their formation. It's not about if I've done my time. There's no such thing in the church. This is one of the ways that I keep my promise, that I make it that baptism. I love that story. It filled me with so much hope about the kind of community that I had come to. Because there's, there's a difference in being a promise-making community and a promise-keeping community. There's a difference in being somebody who makes promises, and there's a difference when you align your actions with those promises and you keep them. It makes a difference in people's lives. It fills me and fills us with hope. I love for families as they bring a child for baptism to hear that and to say at a big church like Covenant, you may not know all the names of the people out there, but when they make a promise to you, don't think just because you don't know their name that they don't mean it. This is more than a promise-making church. It's a promise-keeping community. Today, as we continue in our Revive teaching series going through the book of Hebrews over the summer... The author of Hebrews is going to talk to us a lot about this amazing news that part of how we're revived is that we're to be people of hope, that we're to have hope in our lives. You're going to hear the word hope when we read through this scripture passage lots of different times. And what I want you to know from the beginning is that as we go through this text, the reason that you and I are called to be hopeful people is because our God is a God who makes promises. But what the author of Hebrews also wants you to hear is he's a God who keeps those promises. And if you can believe that, if you can trust in that with your life, it will transform your existence into something that is far more hopeful than anything we can muster on our own. It's an amazing promise that we're talking about today. And so let's engage this text together from Hebrews chapter 6. It's gonna be on the screens, it's printed in your bulletin. And this is what the author writes. When God made a promise to Abraham because he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself saying, I will surely bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently endured, obtained the promise. Human beings, of course, swear by someone greater than themselves and an oath given as confirmation puts an end to all dispute. In the same way, when God desired to be Uh, To show even more clearly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it by an oath. So that through two unchangeable things in which it is impossible that God would prove false, we who have taken refuge might be strongly encouraged to seize the hope set before us. We have this hope. A sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters the inner shrine behind the curtain where Jesus, a forerunner on our behalf, has entered, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thank Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that no matter who we are or how we walk in here today, we would hear your gospel, your good news. And it would change us forever. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so as a reminder, when we started this series, we said that the book of Hebrews is unique in the New Testament because it's not written to a certain church community, like Philippians was written to the church in Philippi, Galatians is written to the church in Galatia. What makes Hebrews unique in the New Testament is that it is written for people like us, and it is written for times like this. It is written for people who have gone through difficulty who've gone through struggle it is written for people that that has impacted their faith it's written for people that maybe their faith has grown cold it's written for people uh, that maybe they have wrestled with god and as they've gone through hardship and gone through struggle where was god in that and how could god let that happen as a people in the last 16 months we have been through a lot it's changed so much of our lives and our habits And the hope of the book of Hebrews is to revive our faith, to breathe life into us again. It's written for people like us. It's written for times like this. Now, the other thing that we said about Hebrews is that it's not written to a church in a certain city. The target audience of the author of Hebrews were um, early Christians who were converts from Judaism. And so, throughout the letter to the Hebrews, there's a lot of Old Testament references. And a lot of Old Testament references because the author's trying to remind them of the uniqueness of Jesus, but from the perspective and the paradigm of the Old Testament. It was one of the things that makes this letter really distinct. And as we think about that, we're going to be taking a journey today, kind of back into some of these uh, images and to some of this paradigm that comes from the Old Testament here in Hebrews chapter 6. Because there's a name that shows up in the last verse we read. And the name is the high priest Melchizedek. Now I'm going to assume many of us don't know who Melchizedek is. The reason I'm going to assume that is I didn't really know who Melchizedek was when this whole thing started. But his name appears over and over and over and over again in the book of Hebrews. Now Melchizedek is different from some of the other people in the New Testament who are referred to from the Old Testament. Because usually the people referred to from the Old Testament are like the Mount Rushmore people. Like King David, Moses... Or Abraham, like we've seen here. Like, people is like, okay, I kind of have a sense of maybe that name or who that is. Melchizedek appears in four verses in the whole Bible. Four verses in Genesis chapter 14. Now... There's one other reference to Melchizedek in Psalm 110, but it's just a reference to Melchizedek. There's not a lot g- given to explain. So it's crazy to me that the author of Hebrews is taking four verses from the book of Genesis, but makes this claim in what we just read to say, if you want to understand who Jesus is, if you want to have hope in your life, you got to know that he is an heir like a high pri- to the high priest Melchizedek. That's a huge claim for someone that gets four verses. And so I think that today we should look at what those verses are. We should look at them and try to understand, because I want you to hear this from the beginning. To understand Melchizedek, to understand who he is, and again, he's going to keep showing up in the book of Hebrews as we go through the summer, is a key to unlocking what it means to live as hope. This is a really, really important point for how you and I live and how we can be revived. Okay? So... We're going to look at Genesis chapter 14. It's going to come up here um, on the screens. I'm going to read it for us here. And these are the four verses where we learn about Melchizedek. After his return from the defeat of Chedorlaomer, which I'm certain is not how it sounded to the people that spoke it back then, but <laughs> we're going to roll with it. and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shava, that is the king's valley. And King Melchizedek of Sodom brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. He blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, maker of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him one-tenth of everything. Going back to the tithe pledge cards are coming out in just a minute. You think I'm joking. Now set the scene for this. Melchizedek is coming up to engage with Abram. Now we got to know what's going on in Abram's life at this point. Okay. Abram in chapter uh, 14 has had a tragedy befall his family. The tragedy that's befallen his family is that as he and his wife Sarah and their uh, nephew Lot were settling in the promised land as God had called them to, their nephew Lot had been kidnapped. He had been kidnapped by some foreign kings who had armies and it was devastating as it would be to any family that goes through something like that. And so in the verses before this, Abram has his own soldiers in his household, and he raises them, and they go out, and they track down where Lot has been kidnapped and where he's being held, and they fight the armies that have uh, captured Lot, and they defeat them, okay? So Abram has gone from, uh, my, my nephew has been kidnapped, nothing good is happening, you know, this devastating thing, where was God in this? Uh, God's made promises that we will be the fathers of, uh, and mothers of many nations, and then this has happened all of a sudden uh, he's managed to rescue Lot and is journeying back triumphant to his wife who's going to be all excited to see him because he's bringing Lot back and everything's great and as they're going this scene takes place. And the author of Hebrews says if you want to know what hope is you've got to understand this. All right so we're going to talk about a few things. Number one is this The name Melchizedek means, literally translated, the king of righteousness, and this is important. The first part of his name comes from Melech, which is the Hebrew word for king. The last part, Zedek, uh, comes from the Hebrew word for righteousness, and his name is really important to what you see here because number two, the name references his status as both king and high priest. Now, this is important, okay? Okay. Because these were usually two separate roles. But it says in verse 18, which we just read, that he is King Melchizedek, who serves as the high priest of Solomon. All right? So it's really important here that we have to understand that this is somebody, is very rare in the Old Testament among the people of God, to be both king and high priest. But he holds both roles. Number three. This is just kind of interesting. He's the high priest and King of Solomon, which might not sound familiar, but if you put Jeru in front of it, it gives you a key as to the location where they are. These are the origins of the city, the holy city of Jerusalem before it had that name. A lot of cities, if you look back through their history before they were named Austin or Dallas or something else or Atlanta, they have like a little bit of a history to that before that name is taking place. This is that moment in what will become the holiest city in, in the world, to people of faith, the city of Jerusalem. So Melchizedek is the high priest and king where the temple will become, where God will interact with his people, where Jesus will preach and be crucified, where Jesus will be rise again on Easter, and where the church will be given birth. So it's not just any place that he's the king and the high priest of. It's of what will become Jerusalem. Number four, and this is important for us to see, there are a lot of parallels, and these are going to get drawn on again and again and again through the book of Hebrews between Jesus and Melchizedek. But just some that I want to point out to you just really, really quick. Um, uh, He is both king and high priest, which is going to sound a lot like the language we use today of Lord and Savior. Lord of my life. Follow God as my Lord, but also my Savior, the one who is the intermediary between God and myself, which is the role of the high priest, So this dual role for Melchizedek is something that in a much larger sense Jesus embodies and steps into and we proclaim today. You see here that Jesus uh, pursues us in his love. That one of the things we believe that's amazing about grace is that God doesn't wait for us to come, but God is always coming after us. Melchizedek doesn't wait for Abram to come into Solomon. Doesn't even have a sense that Abram's going to come into Solomon. But in all that the high king and priest are doing, he sees Abram out there and, uh, and Melchizedek leaves the city to go to And to pursue Abram. What does he offer him? He offers him bread and wine. Which should sound familiar to us. From the Last Supper that takes place in Jerusalem. Where Jesus offers his body. And wine is his blood. Which we celebrate in communion today. There's a lot of parallels here. Between these four verses in Genesis 14. And the life and ministry of Jesus. But this last one is what we're going to kind of talk about today. In terms of hope. And it's this, Melchizedek reminds Abram, it is God who brought him victory. It is, Melchizedek reminds Abram, it is God who brought him victory. Now, I know we're covering a lot of ground here, but stick with me because this is important. Melchizedek, as Abram's coming back and riding high and everything's great, and we've, we've, kind of, we've defeated the armies and I got my nephew back, my wife's going to be all excited, I got my nephew back and everything else. Melchizedek comes out and says, It's God who gave you this victory. Now, one of the things we have to think about is how it is we react when things go bad in life or good in life. What Melchizedek's essentially saying to Abram is God's been faithful to a promise he made you and has given you this victory. You see, when things go bad in life, one of the first things that we can often do is blame God. God's a promise-keeping God? How did this happen in my life? How did this happen in my family? How did this happen in the world around us? How does this injustice exist? God, such a loving, faithful, good God. Tell me how this is possible. God, where were you when this happened? Where were you in what's taking place in the world today? But one of the things that's important when we talk about being a promise-keeping God is there is nowhere in the Bible, and there, there are certain people that will try to convince you otherwise, but I'm telling you there is nowhere in the Bible with any credibility that you can hear and believe that if you're good enough, bad things don't happen to you. That's not true, and anyone that tells you that is trying to sell you other than something of Jesus. Because it's not true for Abram, is it? His nephew is kidnapped by armies. He has to go fight. Probably soldiers that he knows, maybe that he's close to, die in this battle. There are difficulties and hardships of life, and nobody is promised to be spared from that. Sometimes it's the brokenness of this world that comes and and impacts us and our family, and we don't get a sense as to why. Sometimes we're the authors of our own brokenness. Sometimes we are the authors of pain for us and those whom we love. God does not promise anything like, if you're good enough, tough times won't happen to you. But what Melchizedek is reminding Abram of here is that the promise of God is to say that suffering will not be the end of your story. That God is a God who redeems and transforms. Jesus himself experiences this. The hardship of death and torture and betrayal, even death on a cross, but new life and resurrection comes from it. The promise to Abram is not that tough times won't happen. The promise to Abram is God won't let you stay there. And it's God, Melchizedek says, who brought you the victory. When things are bad, God's often the first one we blame. How could you let this happen? When things are good, God's not normally the one we first go to, right? Like you imagine the interview If this was on TV, like a sporting event, where Abram gets interviewed of like, hey, you know, congratulations on winning the battle. And Abram, if he's like, you know, humble enough, he's like, oh, you know, it's not all about me. I want to thank the soldiers and like the discipline they put in. And I, you know, I want to thank the captains that trained them. And I want to thank, you know, the people that made the weapons. You know, there's a lot of people, all of which is true. But Melchizedek is saying, no, 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 no. God brought you this victory. Now Abram could sit there and go, who are you to tell me anything? I've never met you before. You don't know anything about me. I was the one out there fighting. I was the one that paid for the army. I was the one that came up with the battle plan. What are you talking about? Abram could get really angry about this, and yet he doesn't. Again, the pledge cards. He gives 10%. He has this amazing response. Now, why is that? Because... Melchizedek, I believe, knows something that you and I always need to hear. That the victories, that the blessings, the successes we have in life, so many of the factors of that, you and I are not in control of. We love the myth in our culture of a self-made man, or a self-made woman. Here's the deal, it's not true. There's no such thing And you're like, no, you don't know who I'm talking about. I don't need to know them. 90% of what determines where we go in life and the opportunities we have, we have no control over. You're like, yeah, but I work hard. I know you work hard. So do I. But do you think you controlled all the things that brought you to where you are? Look at my life today. I grew up in Atlanta not as a Christian. I went to Japan for two years after college. It's there that I became a Christian and married a wonderful woman from Wales who I'm doing ministry with now and leading a service today in Austin, Texas. Do you actually think that was the plan? (laughs) No. It's silly. It's ridiculous to say that. And it's ridiculous for Abram, it's ridiculous for you. Some of you may have seen this week that uh, Conan O'Brien left after 28 years of doing late night talk show. Uh, and one of the most successful people in the history of television. And if you've seen his closing monologue, he has a really interesting story where he thinks Lorne Michaels. I, when I watched it, I was like, I don't, I don't know why you're thinking Lorne Michaels. Lorne Michaels, as you may know, if that name is familiar, is the longtime, very successful executive producer of Saturday Night Live. But Conan O'Brien told this story. He said, you know, um, my first job working in, in entertainment was I was a writer on Saturday Night Live. And after just a few short months, uh, NBC had a late night show uh, slot that needed to be filled because David Letterman had <laughs> left. And the uh, NBC went to just a few people and said, who should we get? Who are the young superstars that we can put in this position? And Warren Michael said, I've got one name for you. And they were like, who, Like who? from the cast of Saturday Night Live, who's going to be great and bring ratings up? He said, no, 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 they're not in front of the camera. It's this guy we just hired who's really tall with funny hair that's a writer in our back room. And they're like, well, if he's so good, why is he in front of the camera? And Warren Michael said, I don't know, but I think he's going to be great for you guys here. And they said, well, that's a ridiculous idea. Give us other names. And he said, I'm not giving you any other names. This is the name I'm giving you. And Conan O'Brien said that it made no sense. Conan O'Brien almost turned it down because he said, I'm completely unprepared to do this. Conan O'Brien said if it wasn't for Lauren Michaels, none of this would have happened. You think you're in control? How many factors in your life have contributed to where you are today? Or as a good friend of mine said, don't assume if you're standing on third base in life that you hit a triple. What are the factors that have determined where you are, that you couldn't control, where you were born, of who you were born to, who was a teacher that influenced your life, a mentor that changed things, where God brought all kinds of things together that you weren't in control of? What Melchizedek is reminding Abram of is God's been faithful. Now, this is the last thing, and it's important. Again, I know we're covering a lot, but this is so key to understanding hope. How is that true for Abram? Abram raised the army, went and fought. Well, if you go back and look at the previous chapters, Abram didn't have to go raise an army. Abram was a very wealthy person. And Abram had hundreds of soldiers that were trained who traveled with he and his family. Now, that's how he had these trained soldiers that could respond and go fight with the excellence that they did. Where did he get the money? He got it, and he was successful and did well himself, but the basis of his wealth he inherited from his father Terah, who was also successful. Abram was put in the situation where he could respond the way he did. Did he work hard? Yes, he worked hard, but was he responsible for the resources that he had? Was he in control of that? Was that to his credit? Absolutely not. And what Abram does is he doesn't feel guilty. No one needs to feel guilty about this. He doesn't sit there and get resentful. What Abram does, and this is where I want you to see what the writer of Hebrews is getting at, is he responds with joy. It's this hopeful thing. And he gives one-tenth. Why is that important? It's important because it's Abram's resources that saved him. It's Abram's resources that allowed him to have the money to go do this. And what Abram's doing is demonstrating and saying, it's God who put me in the position for this. And so I am going to release this because I trust that the God who made it possible for me to take these steps now, that that same God who kept promises to me and my family in ways I couldn't even imagine, that that God is going to be with me no matter what today and tomorrow happens. There is a joy and a freedom and a liberation in life when this becomes real to us. When we see our stories and the blessings and the joys and the thanksgiving, and we see all of the different ways that God has woven a beautiful tapestry and that you and I are in control of about two threads of that tapestry. And that we realize that we don't have to live life with clenched fists in fear with other people as the competition for the places we want to go and what we want to do that it is God who has brought us safely to where we are today. And that's that same God who has kept promises to us is gonna be faithful to you tomorrow. Because God's made promises to you. Promises never to leave you. Promises never to give up on you. Promises to always continue to give open doors and new opportunities. Promises that your life has meaning and purpose and a calling even when it gets confusing. Even when you're not certain what steps you are to take, God says that you are not alone in that. There is joy in your existence if we look to God for where that is. God has made promises you, and God is not just a promise maker. The author of Hebrews is saying he's a promise keeper. If you could trust that, like we see Abram doing here at the end, man, that's living with hope. That's living with freedom. That is releasing our burdens. That's good news. So I am going to end now. I am going to end now by inviting you to let the words of Melchizedek live in your story what are the blessings in your life what are the successes in your life i know that there's hard things that haven't worked out i get that i've got them too lot was kidnapped the promise of god isn't about that the promise of god is to never leave your side and as you look at the blessings as you think about them this week as you talk about them as a family as you think about them or journal about them as you talk about them as a small group where has god been giving you blessings, I want you to see and pay attention and think about and, and talk about all of the things that led to that that you had no ability to control. No ability at all to control. And to realize it's not luck, it's not karma, it's not anything else. It is the faithfulness of God and the same God that brought you to that point will not leave you today or tomorrow. And if you do that, rather than walking out of here going, I don't know if I really like sermon or not. If you do that this week, imagine what it'll be like when we walk back in here next Sunday. The hope that will radiate within us and from us to others. Because our God doesn't just make promises. He keeps. Amen. 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 Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would be with us. Lead us, guide us. We are grateful for your faithfulness to us. Let us hope today that you who has been so good to us in the past will be good to us with the difficulties of today and tomorrow. We give you thanks and praise for this good news. In Christ's name, amen.